Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. Well, we got a new year upon us. Finally, 2020 is coming to an end. Christmas. How was your Christmas? Right. How was your Kwanzaa? How was your... My, my, Chris, uh, my Christmas was great, man. Yeah, my Christmas was great. The, the kids got a lot of the things they wanted, and that's all I really care about, you know. I got a new guitar, oh, yeah. so got some inspiration Ooh, there. Yeah, got me a new electric Ooh, so, guitar. So, you know what? All the all the creepers will benefit from that because we get they to hear will. the sultry hearing... sounds of that new guitar on the intros. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. That, get ready for be... some more guitar intros now. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> There's going to be, a, yeah, it's going to be making its appearance here pretty soon on the show. Uh, I'm nice. pretty excited about it. So it's it's a it's a jazz master. So it's kind of guitar I've been wanting for a long long time. So pretty pretty dope, pretty dope. Right Old on. Dad came through again with that. But uh, yeah, uh, my Festivus didn't go as good as yours. Uh, I heard your uh, <laughs> just the banter. Uh, I, I called it just the banter twelve and a half. Did you see that? Yeah, because it's <laughs> half an episode, fifteen it's, minutes. It's half an episode, and it's only and, one of us and half of true crime guys. Yeah. But dude, that was I. I thoroughly enjoyed your just the banter twelve and a half. I um I listened to it before I posted it, and I laughed out loud multiple times. It was a good time, nice. and I was like, I'm not adding anything to this. I'm just gonna put this up. So uh, nice. yeah, yeah, so. I did my best Bill Burr impression. I was <laughs> I was drunk on some hard seltzers. And, it was uh, hilarious. <laughs> I just oh got God. on the mic and rambled because me and Mike were supposed to get on together. Yeah, and it was late. It was bad. really late on the East Coast, so I don't blame you. It was like a, past eleven o'clock or close to midnight when we yeah. were supposed to get on, um, and he didn't make it. So I just was like, "Well, I'm here. The mic's on. I'm just gonna record some shit and send it over. If he wants to post it, he can post it." <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was great. We'll we'll do that. Maybe I'll do that in the future. You know, one time when we can't link up and you can't make it or whatever, I'll yeah. I'll get on there and do you know my my half episode, but uh, that was that was fun. I enjoyed listening nice. to that very much. You should do that more often. Yeah. Patreon.com slash true crime guys, five bucks a month gets you access to just the banter, and you can hear my drunken rambles on the <laughs> Christmas Eve Eve is when I recorded that. Yes, yes, and I talked on to, Festivus. Uh, talked a lot of Festivus. I, I yeah. complained about my family members and stuff. And uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Times. If you're not sure what Festivus is, look that up. Look up the Seinfeld right. clips. Uh, yeah. yeah, that that was so funny when you brought that up. I was like, "That's me. That's my holiday." Festivus. <laughs> yeah, just put a poll up in the corner. <laughs> just put a poll up and talk up and complain around it or whatever you do. Right. Yeah, yeah, that was great, dude. But uh, let's uh, let's let's dive into this week's episode. We got something pretty crazy here. It's, mm-hmm. um, I'm not going to give too much away. We got we have uh, basically a a sadist, someone who really enjoyed. Uh, perpetuating terrible, uh, heinous, violent crimes on right. elderly women. Um, so it's, it's pretty pretty rough, but also there's there's something pretty shocking about it. The killer, I think, would surprise you. I agree, 100%. Sorry, there was a siren going by my house. I was going to say, it sounds uh, like the police are on to the next serial killer. Yes, they, <laughs> they are. They, they're always coming by around here looking for me. I mean, for them. <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But no, this serial killer, uh, yeah, sticks out in a lot of different ways. Um, different motives, right? Different tactics, yeah. um, and a different person altogether than what would typically be your serial killer, even though, you know, it's probably in the title. Um, yeah. But this is this is interesting. This is uh, another Eileen Warnos style, uh, but a little more of a thrill seeker than Eileen, I think. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, and more more directly violent. Like, Mm-hmm. No, no, there was with when there's a gun, there's a separation of violence there. In my opinion, as opposed to like at deliberately 
beating someone or using a knife on someone or strangling someone. It's you're much just more simply personal, pulling more a trigger violent. like Eileen did, and uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think th- there was more premeditation, whereas Eileen it was like more kind of spur of the moment, opportunistic. Yeah, opportunistic. Yeah, <clears throat> but yeah, different motives, and uh, this one, uh, yeah, let's get into it. Let's do it. Saw we're out shopping again today. I wonder who paid for those Nikes and designer shades. Dana Sue Gray, who are you pretending to be today? There are better ways to get that rush you crave. case this week if you haven't caught by the title and by our <laughs> intro it's a little different in that it's a it's a serial killer who's a woman and mm-hmm. who is a sadist and directly enjoyed killing people um specifically elderly women in yeah, really sure heinous like ways it. i mean it was very violent crimes here and, it, and there was financial motive but which is i think is the the common theme with female serial killers it seems to be almost always financially i can't think of one that wasn't right, financial. right. like uh you think of a sacramento sweetie was financial 100 yes. percent. alien warnos uh there was some there you could you could argue that it had to do with she she grew to hate the the men that had mistreated her over the years and then she started to see every man as what she hated you know right yeah um and was and, lashing and this... back out at them but also there was she would rob all of the people she killed as well so Right. Something else she has in common with a lot of other female killers is the fact that she worked in the medical field. Yeah, right. Nurse, a lot of nurses are serial yes, killers. <laughs> lot, I mean, they are. You know why? I think it's just because they deal with people in vulnerable situations. Yeah, and maybe they get they, desensitized like we've talked about yeah. with like paramedics and firemen and stuff where you see that stuff all the time. And then not that it makes you not care, but at the same time, it makes you more able to deal I mean, with it. You know, another example is like people who work at rest homes. You know, yeah. or senior citizen uh, places and things like that. Like they, those people, they every time I visit those places, I hate visiting those places, and it's not because of the older people. It's the way that I see the older people getting treated mm-hmm. that just makes me. It makes my stomach turn. I'm like, I, I know you deal with these people every day, and I know that some of them are senile and some of them can be irritating. But 
um, it's just the lack of empathy and the lack of patience. But I guess day in and day out, like you said, you become hardened to it. You're like, okay, okay, yep. Mr. Anderson, you got to take the damn pill. You're going to take it now or, or are you going to die? Like, what do you want to do? Right. You know, they become like um, Ben Stiller and Happy Gilmore. It's like, yeah. That's going to hurt because you just pulled landscaping duty. <laughs> Check out the name tag, Grandma. You're in my house now. <laughs> You're in my house now. That's, right. that's like day three yeah. of doing it. It's like you go into right. it with like these grand ideas of like helping people. It's like right. day three. You're like, uh, all right, Dorothy. You You're taking your pills, damn it. <laughs> Open your mouth, Dorothy. I'm getting a slingshot. I swear to God. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I can see that. It's only human nature, right? To to get tired of something and to get um, to get short fused. Get I guess, jaded when you deal by with things over and over again. But still, it still takes a special person to take advantage of those people in those vulnerable situations in the way that a lot of these nurses have. And the it's way like that it's like Dana any profession, did. you know. Like there's there's good police and bad police. There's I'm sure there's there's yes. nurses that are truly saints. I think most of them are like ninety percent yes. or more. You have to be to go through all that shit, right? Yeah, and they they treat every patient with care as they should. Um, yes. But then there's there's that ten percent or or lo- hopefully less. But hopefully less, yeah. Ten percent do a lot. get <laughs> they do get jaded by it. Maybe they got their own things going yeah. on, whatever it is, and they take it out on the people. Yeah. But yeah. that wasn't the case. She was not like she was killing her patients specifically. This serial killer. Um, but let, let's let's dive into it. Let's just let's not give too much away here. <laughs> We're gonna start with the uh, the community that was shaken by these crimes and, and lead you through this. So Canyon Lake is is where a lot of this largely uh, occurs. Canyon mm-hmm. Lake in California. It's a city built around a golf course and a man-made lake carved from the desert of Riverside County, California. So it's like a retirement community, very safe. Um, they had a 24 hour security, 12 foot walls. Um, and okay. for, for retirees like 86 year old Norma Davis in the 1990s, this was the place to live out your remaining years. It was very safe and communal and, you know, you could go golfing and whatnot. And it seems like a kind of place I'd like to retire in. Honestly, I, yeah, yeah, it does. I do play a little golf now, and I can, I can, I always kind of laughed about it. I was just like, it's a stupid sport. And then when you when you play it, it's pretty fun, and it's something you can do. I think that's the big thing is like you can continue to do that sport into your well into even your eighties. Yeah, it's just not that I, strenuous. I think that when I get older, I think I'll want to be around more people as well. I think like now, I, I don't. I like living out away from people and away from everything and having my space and my land. And I still may be that way when I'm older. I think it just depends on how my how my body ages. You know what I mean? Like if I'm still physically capable to take care of myself and do my own thing, then I think I would still like to stay out. But yeah. if I'm if I'm at a point where I really can't do anything physical anymore and the only the only uh, fun I have in life is through conversation or through board games or through whatever, then obviously I want to be around people. You're going to you know, be that old guy at the nursing home that's that's got the guitar and everybody's circled around and you're playing them songs <laughs> yes. and they're going to be con- you're going to start to go nuts and hate the old people too because you're just like all right I already <laughs> fucking played that one last hour, Daryl. I'm not playing Devil Went Down to Georgia again, Charlie. <laughs> I swear to God. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure, I'll have my son in there sneaking me in weed. It'll be great. Well, hopefully, yeah, right. it'll be legal by then. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be really legal by then and we'll have to worry about oh, it. It better be. It better God. be or else what the hell. Jesus, seriously. Just oh. get in your automated car and get over here, son. That's right. Get over here. I'm running low. <laughs> I, right. got, I got a concert to play in the cafeteria at one. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're up my butt about it. <laughs> you know I can't perform sober. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so 86-year-old Norma Davis was living in Canyon Lake in 1994. Um... And then suddenly, on February 16th, 1994, she was found 
uh, deceased. She's, she was found in her home by a neighbor and friend, Alice Williams. Um, Alice had become concerned when she hadn't heard from Norma in a couple days and went over to check on her. Norma lived alone, and being 86, her neighbor had reason for concern, um, having not heard from her, and feared that she might find her dead in the home. But from natural causes, you know, as you would right. you would expect to find an 86-year-old person that you hadn't heard from if they if you suspected they might have uh, passed away, you'd suspect to find them, you know, in their chair or on the floor, dead from natural right. causes. That is not how she was found. Unfortunately, Alice Williams walked into a absolutely terrifying scene. Um, it was far from natural. Norma Davis was in fact dead inside her home, but she had she had a wooden handled utility knife sticking out of her neck and a fillet knife sticking out of her chest. Her neck had been cut from the front all the way to the back and she was almost decapitated. Yeah, she tried to, it's like it almost, the detective from the documentary said it looked like someone tried to saw through her neck. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't just a clean slice uh, from side to side. It was it was sawed. Yeah. That's, that, that right there speaks volumes about this attack. This is a scary criminal, someone capable of doing this to an 86-year-old woman. Like she's, basically defenseless you know and it's such overkill that that there's no way to look at it other than this person got off on on the violence here Um, oh absolutely absolutely yeah other than a broken fingernail norma had no defensive wounds and there was seemingly no struggle uh detectives determined that there was no forced entry into the house and norma had always was known to keep her door locked unless she was expecting a visitor so this is a little bizarre. There's no, yeah. no one had broken in. Someone but was, just, it but seems she was as though Norman, Norma had let this person into the home. But she was expecting a visitor that day, though, right? Was she? Yes, she was. She was expecting okay. a friend that day, and that's why the door was unlocked that particular day. Yeah. That gives you a little insight that uh, hmm. this killer may have known right. the victim here. Detectives found a size 6 female Nike shoe print pointed toward the kitchen. That was basically their only piece of physical evidence that they could find. Um, on the floor of Davis's condo, a smear of blood was found on an armchair. Ripped out, uh, A ripped-out phone cord was also found, which was used to strangle Norma. This would become to be a common thread in the crimes mm-hmm. of this serial killer. They, this, this person liked to use phone cords right. to strangle. Man, oh, I'm please. so glad house phones aren't a thing anymore, right? How many people died from phone cords? You talk about like Richard Ramirez, he used phone cords a lot. Gacy uh, probably used phone cords. Bob yeah, Rodella. It's, 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 I mean, it was readily accessible right ooh. there on the wall. And, and everybody had them. And then you're, you're pulling the cord anyway, so they can't call 911, right? So you might as well use it. I, I feel like right? it, it kind of escalated in that way. Like they're going, like the criminals probably originally thinking, oh, I'm just going to unplug the phone. Wait a minute. Let me go ahead and use right? this. <laughs> I mean, that yeah. sounds dark, but I, I guarantee you that was how that how that progressed. No, definitely. <laughs> and then once they did it once, it was like that was a, become a go to because it that was became effective. a go to, right? And you and like you don't you have to bring you don't have to things. bring rope with you. You got one right there on the wall. Yeah, precisely, precisely. So police would notify the next of kin, which in Norma's case was her former daughter-in-law, Jerry Ambrust. Ambrust. Um, Jerry had moved Norma into Canyon Lake after her husband, who was Norma's son, had died. She was shocked and believed that it was a random attack. So um, Norma's son was Jerry's uh, was uh, Jerry's hu- uh, late husband. Or, right. Yeah. This is, gets a little confusing because there's a lot of family ties to all yes. this whole case. <laughs> and so there's a there. lot of like daughter-in-law, father-in-law type of – it goes t- two, la- two layers deep too. Like – 
daughter-in-law of daughter-in-law. And you're just like, what in the hell? I was just sitting there racking my brain trying to figure out the family yeah. ties with this case. <laughs> right. It's, and it's there's not, a lot of uh, not... a lot of multi-marriages going on, too. Like, it seemed like everyone was like, oh, and that was my second husband that was oh, yeah, his yeah, son-in-law. Yeah. And it was just like, what in the hell are you talking about? But it's not it's not like detrimental to this case. It's no. not like you have to keep up with all this shit. You're still going to enjoy this case and this story. If right. You keep up with the main people here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jerry was actually the first suspect that police looked at looked hard at because she had access to Norma's house and wore similar shoes to the print found at the crime scene and similar size too. Yeah. Yeah. They were very suspicious of her. Poor lady. Yeah. So they're looking at this older older woman, Jerry. Who uh, you know was was close with the victim, mm-hmm. and it's just a, a really not the type of person you would expect to do a crime like this, though. You know, no, Jerry no. was interviewed in a in a documentary we watched on YouTube, which the link is in the description, and she just seemed like a you know sweet old lady. It's just like hard to believe her uh, that she was capable of damn near sawing an eighty six year old woman's head off. You know, I right. just can't. It, it'd be hard and, to and picture I, that. And I think the cops were only following her just out of due diligence. They're like, there's yes. no signs of breaking an entry, and then your shoes match, so mm-hmm. let's just check her out. But even the detective said the more time he spent with Jerry, the more he realized this was not our person. This was not the killer. Yeah, um, and right away they separated her and her husband, Jerry's right. husband, and they, you know, th- their stories matched up, and everything checked out, and yeah. it, was, it was a long shot. Oh, yeah. But they, they started to realize that they could keep her close because if the killer did, in fact, know these elderly women, which we'll, we'll get to because it continues, mm-hmm. um, there seems to be connections between these women. And Jerry's also a, you know, kind of kind of glue that's holding this together. They're like, she knows. Right. We know Jerry knows this person, this killer. We've just got to get it out of her. That's right. Or, I mean, or help Jerry figure out who it is. Because yeah. at this point, Jerry it's not like Jerry's hiding it from them. No. You know, I, I don't I don't want it to sound I don't want it to sound like that either. The way you phrased it, like they're trying to get it out of her. It's not like she knows or she's get part it out of, of her this. because she doesn't even yeah. know it's in there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So twelve days after Norma's murder on February twenty eighth, nineteen ninety four, the killer would strike again in the same community. Sixty six year old June Roberts was killed. In Canyon Lake, um, mm. this quiet retirement community, gated 24-hour security, this 66-year-old woman was now murdered as well, and this community goes into a hysteric state. Um, she, she, like Norma Davis, lived in Canyon Gate. Someone had strapped her to a chair, strangled her with a phone cord, and hit her in the face brutally with a wine bottle. Her autopsy included the phrases, quote, moderately deep ligature furrow and six-by-three-inch purple contusion. Mm. So this killer is once again striking in very violent fashion. Yeah. <clears throat> and again, you're talking about elderly victims where this type of force is really not necessary. No, not at um, all. If if this was not your intent. If your intent was to simply rob these women, honestly, you probably could have just robbed them. Yep. <laughs> you could have went in there with a mask and just robbed them. So it, it speaks a lot about this killer. It speaks a lot about her sadistic nature. No doubt. The killer had then rifled through the belongings. Um, her purse was open, but it was unclear exactly what, if anything, had been stolen. Uh, many of the residents in Canyon Lake were terrified at this point. Some moved in with loved ones, and a group of elderly widows began sleeping in big groups at designated homes. They believed that there was safety in numbers. 
Many residents uh, theorized that the murders were committed by a cult who engaged in ritual sacrifice. Uh, you can't I mean, have this a, was coming up. Soon. You can't have like a serial killer in the '80s or '90s without there being a reference to a you know ritual oh, sacrifice. Yeah. It was uh, always sat uh, Satanism or something along those lines. Right. I don't think they do the whole uh, sacrificial ritual in someone's house. You know what I mean? I don't think they're going to leave them there. <laughs> I think right. most people who were who were taken for rituals and cult activities are kidnapped. You know, like with the, uh, it was a Mark Kilroy episode that yeah. we did when he was captured yeah. by the Mexican cartel for that ritual. Mm -hmm. They they have areas set aside for these rituals. You know, I don't think they're exactly. they're performing them in the middle of a of a gated retirement community. Right. <laughs> but and, that's the first I mean, thing. What, what was to. the evidence? I mean, it was yeah, a brutal, no evidence. There were brutal slayings, but what, was there candles or like circle circled around the body right. or? Or I, were, there, were there somebody carve a pentagram into them or something? Like what? What right. are we going off of? Yeah, yeah, it's silly. So the Canyon Lake residents felt uh, convinced that the killer was an outsider that had made their way in, uh, a gardener or something along those lines. But the police disagreed. They they viewed this as someone that knew these victims um, was able to gain entry that way by because the you know basically the victims let them into the house. Mm -hmm. um, and Detective Joseph Greco, uh, Greco, sorry, of the Paris Police Department led the murder investigations of Norma Davis and June Roberts. Um, and this was uh, he was a young guy. Um, he was he had he had already get, received an award for saving. Uh, what was he? he had saved somebody from a, a burning car or something along those lines. And, yeah, um, but this he was, was only new his, to homicide. Yeah, I was about to say this is only like his first or second homicide case. Yeah, Norma Davis was his second his second, second case. So okay. he'd only done one before. That's right. Still very fresh, but very educated. Yeah, yeah. Um, Greco suspected that Roberts and Davis uh, they were connected. Due to the uh, evidence that he had collected at the case, he knew that Jerry Ambrust was likely the key to finding the killer because not only did Jerry know Norma, but coincidentally, Jerry also knew June Roberts. So Jerry Ooh. Ambrust knew both of these victims, and she's got to be concerned at this point for her I own know, safety now. Right? It's like, am I next on this list, whoever this is? Seriously, that's the first, that's the first conclusion I would be thinking. And I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm sure she's expressing these, these worries to the police as well. Mm-hmm. You know, which kind of is fueling their investigation. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, initially, uh, Greco would kind of grill Jerry Ambrose, trying to pull any, you know, memory out of her her brain that could, you know, is there anyone you know that could be potentially that knows the, that knew these two victims that that is capable of doing something like this? And she could not think of anybody that she knew that knew both of these women that is that could have uh, could have done these murders. Right, and so unfortunately, it's it's a waiting game, and thankfully, on March second, nineteen ninety four, they would get a, their first break in the case. Someone had been using June's credit cards on extravagant items, so the you know we know her purse had been rifled through, and and it seemed like something had been taken, but it turns out it was credit cards from June's purse, and someone had been using them. Hair and nail salon treatment, shoes, perfumes, you name it, uh, all the trappings of an extravagant lifestyle were being, uh, this, this credit card were being used for. Police were convinced that the killer was a woman, but who? So they had the size six Nike shoe print inside the, inside the home. They th had the fact that these victims had allowed this perpetrator to gain entry into their home, mm -hmm. which, which would lead you to believe it'd be someone who wouldn't be threatening. You know, it'd be, it'd be, it's more believable that these elderly women would let a woman in, right. a young woman, that, especially if they knew them. Into the Absolutely. home, even in a time of hysteria where someone else had been killed in the community. 
Um, and now these credit cards are being used for a lot of things that a, a woman would use them for, getting their hair and nails done, buying nice shoes and things along those lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was um, pretty de- obvious. Yeah, so detectives started to get an emerging image of the killer by questioning the workers and owners of the stores that the credit cards had been used at following the murders. So now they're, they're going to all these stores that where, they, where, uh, where Norma and... Um, June's credit cards have been being used, and and basically, some of the shop owners remembered that it was a blonde woman in her mid to, to early mid mid thirties to early forties, mm-hmm. um, big frizzy blonde hair, and a hairdresser that they talked to even said that she had a little boy with her when this woman came in, and that uh, the boy referred to her as her other mommy, and so the detective was thinking, okay, we've got a stepmom situation. The killer may be the stepmom to uh, a young boy. And right. on the appointment book, the stylist had even written down the little boy's name, first and last name. So now they had something Ooh. else to go on. So they have a right. profile of this killer, a blonde woman in her late to late 30s to early 40s and has a stepson who's five years old with a bowl haircut and blonde hair as well, the little boy. Right, which you think this is like a nail in the coffin, but it was actually, uh, to my surprise, it was harder for them to pinpoint this boy than I thought. Right. Right? Because they originally start scouring like the elementary schools and stuff. And I'm like, couldn't you just like look in the phone book for his for a last name? And I don't know. Right. I, I just know like there's if easier it's ways real to name, go about this. Who knows yeah. if it's a real name? Because the killer had used uh, Norma Davis's name, I believe, when she went in to get her haircut. So she wasn't even using her real name. Right. She was well, aware that. Well, know, Norma Davis. Norma Davis was on the credit card. On the credit card, yeah. So, yeah, you might as well if you're going to pull this lie, you might as well go all the way. I mean, it's not like your hair hairstylist is going to ask for ID. So that's right. They were a little more uh, uh, careful with credit cards back in in those days too. Like, didn't they have like the little swipe thing that would go across the card and like print out the info onto paper? And but they would always cross check with an ID and stuff. Then I feel like they don't do it as much now. When you use the credit card places, it seems like they just swipe your credit card and you're good. Oh yeah, yeah. They don't care now. Yeah. Transactions are so small, and then the banks the banks protect protect you from all like all that type of stuff. If your card gets because oh, also they get used. the funds like instantaneously now. It seems like whereas back then they had to like didn't they have to like call in and get this to make sure because a lot of times people didn't even have like their credit card was maxed out and they were still using the card. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There was all kinds of weird shit people were doing, all kinds of scams and stuff people were doing with credit cards and checks. Yeah. And you think about when's the last time you seen somebody write a check, boy. That shit used to just be taken as as word. I remember like going grocery shopping as a kid. My mom would have like hundreds of dollars worth of groceries, and she'd write a check, and we'd walk out. And I'm like, man, that's all you got to do? Yeah. You know, even even as a kid, I realized I could just write anything on there and hand it to them, and they let us leave. I mean, what are they gonna do? Follow us home? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Speaking I know you can only write <laughs> write so many 90, bad checks. Nineties movie blank check. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't. But I, what is oh, it? Yeah. Similar, similar story. I haven't seen it. Well, the, yeah. There's this kid who get, gets hit by this thief. Um, he backs into him while the kid's riding his bike, and the guy gets yeah. out and just like he's like in a rush, and he's like, "Here, just he basically signs a blank check and hands it to the kid." And so the kid takes the check to the to the bank and writes a million dollars on it. And to his surprise, they actually cash it and give him a million dollars. Oh shit! <laughs> and so he's like he's like a you know twelve year old kid with a million dollars. And this is like I, I want to say the movie's from like the nineties, so it was like a yeah. shitload of money. And, oh of course. Uh, yeah, he starts of course living like Richie Rich for a while, and then of course the the criminal guy who got the million dollars taken uh, comes after him. I, I don't know. That's as much as I can remember from from it, but. 
Oh, okay. He's oh, the okay. kind of shenanigans that could happen with checks back in the day, guys. That's right. Remember old uh, Frank Abagnale? Remember the checks he wrote? Oh, man. yeah. Oh, oh my man. gosh. Yep. I'm telling Catch you. me if you can. Yes. Catch me if you can. I think it's crazy. The checks he wrote. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so sadly, so when the police come, they get this, this, uh, this, all this info, and they're thinking, okay, now we can take this to Jerry Ambrust, give her this description that it's a woman, blonde hair, mm-hmm. she's got a little boy with her, and Jerry Ambrust is going to be able to tell us who this is. She's going to know her because you know if she knows the victims. This per- this killer knows the victims. They're 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 all in the same social circle. Um, however, unfortunately, when they give all this info to Jerry Ambrust, she still can't think of anybody. And this is largely due to the fact that this this boy is. I think that threw off Jerry because Jerry does know this killer. She yes. doesn't realize it yet. She knows the killer, but this she the killer the person that matches this description wouldn't have had a child with her um, because this was a new thing. Jerry was at least even to aware Jerry's knowledge. This new relationship. Yeah. This was a new boyfriend that the killer had gotten, and this little boy came along with that new boyfriend. Right. And so. So then on March 10th, 1994, another attack occurs. 57-year-old Dorinda Harris was attacked at her job at an antique store. So now this killer is getting even more brazen, walking into a business that is, you know, in operation currently. Yeah. Granted, and it was an antique store. There was no, no other customers in there. It was kind of uh, dead at the moment. No pun intended. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. Right. And she's attacking someone 30 years younger than her first victim. Oh, that's like, true. That's a good point. That's, that's bold as well. Nearly as hey, listen, um, a fifty-seven, helpless. yeah, fifty-seven-year-old person still got some fight in them. Like they not and may also, not be able to run like they used to, but I guarantee you, under the right adrenaline, a fifty-seven-year-old could throw down if they had to. And honestly, also, if I'm unarmed, there's no better place. Maybe not. Okay, maybe like a gun store, but like an antique store. I can't think of a much better place to get attacked and be unarmed and be able to quickly arm myself. Antique An stores antique are store? filled with yeah. all kinds of old war knives and oh my God, who knows, battle axes and all kinds of shit, man, or even just sharp objects. There's I love so antique much glass stores. and porcelain. I could, I could <laughs> fuck somebody up in an antique store. <laughs> no doubt. I'll bust them over the head with like some kind of brass lamp or something, bro. Then things weigh like right. 50 pounds. Yeah, like yeah. you said, there's there's something. Dude, that should be a freaking, that should be like a, a battle royale fight to the death TV show. You put two two badasses in an antique store and let them use yeah. whatever they find in there to kill each other. That'd be great. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Maybe there are guy there are people on death row. You know, if you just right? do heinous crimes and oh, you okay. have to watch them battle it out. Oh, okay. I was just thinking like <laughs> I was just thinking like some terrible way somebody could kill someone with like a Lionel train set or something. <laughs> just like just like turning up the electricity on and throwing them on the tracks. You know, right. I, I don't know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> get real sadistic dish, really fast. Just take it to the dome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh damn! Cut somebody's throat with a license plates. There's always tons right. of license plates. I'm amazed at what license plates go for. Y'all, Seriously. if y'all got any old, An license old plates, rusty license plate from I, some random state, bro, I'm serious. Like forty, fifty bucks. Like even if it's, it doesn't matter what state it is. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's like. Saying. I see them people here. like people probably like to collect all fifty states. So if you got oh, the state course. they need, of course, and and the older the better. The older the yep. better. Like they like those old ones that are like two colors. You know, like old yeah. like all the old two color ones. Like yep. here in North Carolina in the sixties, they were white and green, and that's it. Nevada, you, know, like, you still see them around the blue platers. The they're, blue they're and old white. School, old school locals here, they like the just the dark navy blue with the white yes. lettering, and it's very yes. basic. You call them blue platers. Yeah, you guys have the blue plate, and then California's got I think the black and yellow. Yes. Yeah. Right. See, mm-hmm. so everybody's got like their their two color thing, and uh, yeah. but those 
man, those plates, y'all, if y'all find them for less than like 20 bucks, you should snatch them up because them things. There you go. I don't know why. License and in plates a pinch, are going for a lot. In a pinch, it can uh, mess somebody up. That's right. That's right. They're very sharp on the edge. <laughs> and in worst case scenario, you can corners and turn it into a shank real quick. That's right. <laughs> Be creative. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> It's terrible advice. So this this is what Dorinda Hawkins should have done, honestly. But it was she yeah. was caught. It was it was a surprise attack, to be honest. So uh, Dorinda had been working alone that day at the antique store when a woman came in to buy a picture frame for a photo of her deceased mother's. With why the, is it always the, a picture frame? You ever noticed that there was something else I was watching where some killer came in. Maybe it was a movie just recently, and somebody came into a shop and they're like, "Oh, I'm looking for a picture frame." And I think it's because it has to be custom and it has to be perfect. There you go. So, so you're gonna so have to get someone to So, if you work at one of these places around. and someone comes in asking for a picture frame, get your shank ready. That's right. That because like, who who needs that? Like, get your picture framed at a craft store. Get the hell out of here. What are you doing? Right. Right. What are the chances we have your exact frame? And we probably got a great piece of art in it already. It's yeah. an antique store. <laughs> yeah. So when Dorinda bent over to to get something, the woman suddenly strangled her, uh, put a piece of rope over her neck. Dorinda begged and pleaded with the attacker for her life. The woman said simply and softly, just relax. So Dorinda Mm. was literally pleading, saying, I have children and this and that. And the woman was just completely cold and callous and just said, just relax. It'll be over soon, essentially. Yeah, Um, that's what nurses say to people when they're administering. There you go. Think about it, dude. Just relax. Keep calm. Yeah, they're used to dealing with people up in arms and excited and afraid. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that training helped her in this situation. That's right. Um, so the, the perpetrator then took $5 from Hawkins' purse and $20 from the cash register. An hour later, the woman went sh- on another shopping spree using Roberts' credit card. Dorinda Hawkins, however, was different from the other victims in that she had survived the assault. It might be, I didn't think Hell about yeah. it, the fact, it might be the fact that she was 30 years younger, like you said. She was. A 57-year-old woman would be able to withstand a lot more. Well, look, and we've Martin, talked so many times about how hard it is to strangle a person you know, and actually yes. kill them. From what, everything we've studied all over the years of this podcast, it's a common theme. Almost every serial killer that talks about what they've done, they, they all say it's harder to kill somebody than you, would, than you expect. Right. Right. And uh, yeah, I think she just, she bit off more than she could chew here. She was getting cocky and yep. uh, she thought, I'm going to also do, I'm going to do it in a public place and I'm also going to do it to someone younger. Yeah. I think she's she less likely to take the time it takes to actually strangle someone until they die. Uh, she, she basically, when you're in a business that's, that anybody could walk in at any moment. Right. She probably didn't take the time that it, it, it takes to do it and and therefore Dorinda would would uh, survive thankfully. That's what I was going to say too. We don't really know the circumstances. Maybe someone was approaching the store and she saw him and she let him go, let her go and mm-hmm. snuck out or maybe she just felt like she, she was She might have heard caught. the bells ring at the door when the door opened. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You never know. I, I really think something saved uh Dorinda's life. I don't think that that she just gave up trying to kill her and left. Right. I, I think something happened here. That's just that just wasn't Dana's way. She's not going right. to leave this loose end on purpose. Right. So Dorinda would survive the assault and was able to give detectives a description of her attacker. The next day, the story was in the newspaper, and of course, the description that Dorinda gave matched up to what detectives had already gotten, as far as like a description from all the the places that these stolen credit cards has been used. Once again, it was a a woman in her 30s or 40s with uh, large, frizzy, blonde hair. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty as well, a pretty woman. Um, Which was a popular the new... hairstyle then, though, too. I yeah, mean, definitely describing... like that 80s, big, frizzy, frizzy hair. 
Yeah, you're describing everyone her age around that time. That's true. Especially That's true. in my L.A. Mom had the same thing going on back then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before the news could get Jerry Ambrust, however, she got an unexpected visit from her daughter, daughter-in-law, Dana Sue Gray. So mm. the news has now gotten out that this attacker is struck again, this time at an antique store. The person survives. There's this, you know, basically like a... Um, what do you call it? Uh, pictures put out, drawings of this. What do you call it? it was a composite sketch. Composite of, sketches. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I and as well. and so before she can even get this though, uh, on the she didn't get the newspaper yet. Jerry Ambrust, who with whom the detectives had been really uh, prodding to try and you know find out if there's anyone that she knows that could have possibly done this. Right. She gets a knock at her door, and it's from her daughter-in-law, Dana Sue Gray. And that is the name of this episode for a reason, because that is the serial killer with whom we've been talking about killing these elderly women. Dana Sue Gray uh, was just a, a horrendous serial killer. And let's go through her timeline of her life. She was born on December 6th, 1957 in Southern California to Beverly and Russell Ambrust. Um, she shares a birthday with the Greek freak, if you Giannis. watch basketball. Yeah. yeah. Um, Judd Apatow, love some of his movies. Okay, great, great uh, Apatow, yep. comedic director, and Richard Speck, uh, oh, fellow him. serial killer. Yeah, yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. Well, two so out of three a, ain't bad. Two out of three ain't it's a big bad. day in serial killers. You got a big named uh, female one, and you got Richard Speck, who everybody yeah. has heard of. Yep, old Richard Speck. He he was a spree killer though, right? Technically, isn't that yes. isn't that the argument? Yes. So we want to get our terminology right here. We don't want to. We don't want to get one starred. They don't even know who oh, Richard geez. Speck is. Yeah. These guys are true crime guys. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yep. People get particular. Oh yeah. Dana's father, Russell, worked as a hairdresser and had three previous marriages before marrying Beverly, who was a former beauty beauty queen. So Dana's mother, um, she was very self centered. She was a narcissist. She was a former beauty queen. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot, a large problem with Dana's development as a young woman. Um, her mother didn't seem to care much about her. She cared about herself a whole lot more. And Dana was seemed like to be just kind of a burden to her. And then after uh, her mother and her father, Russell and Beverly, get divorced, she her mother wins custody. So she's stuck with her, her mother, who only cares about herself. Right. Um, Russell and Beverly had several miscarriages before Dana was born. Beverly was an aggressive, vain woman who frequently maxed out her husband's credit cards. That sounds familiar. They finally <laughs> right. divorced when her husband found her grappling with an older uh, older woman who had angered her. So she also had anger issues. Also oh, sounds shit. familiar. Sounds yeah. like uh, old Dana's just a chip off the old block here. <laughs> I know, right? You know what, though? All things considered, her childhood really wasn't that bad. I mean, when you look at Eileen Warnos, you look at like William Bonin, you look at some of these other guys who you're like, okay, yeah, I, I get how you turned out. I mean, her parents divorced and her mom was self-centered. Yeah. Mm, but we to what extent do we know the, the daily levels of manipulation and, you know, just I, what molds a person's brain into being a, a narcissist as well. Like Dana would grow, and it also could be some level of genetic thing too. But development played into it. She was Dana was taught to be a narcissist and, and take what she wants at all times, just like her mother did. Right. And and it, and, and to be honest, Dana lived a, a life that was pretty successful for a long time. She we'll get into it. She's a success, successful nurse. She was a thrill seeker. She was a skydiver. Like she did a yeah. lot of stuff before she went into serial killing. It was kind of a last resort. It right. wasn't something that she had built herself up to, like we see with a lot of serial killers where they start 
um, you know, being a, a voyeur in, in their teens, and then they rape somebody, and then they go into killing. It wasn't like that. It was not like a – there wasn't the stepping stones. It was just – she dove right in when it happened in her in her 30s. Right. Which is pretty rare. Yes, it is. It really is. I feel so, like she had nowhere uh, else to go. At least she thought that way. Yeah. So Dana Sue was two years old at the time of her parents' divorce. Her mother uh, won custody, and afterwards she rarely saw her father. And this is around the time she began acting out to get attention. Beverly what, was not fit three? to be a mother. <laughs> what, like, what were you, you know saying? What saying? I mean, if she's two years old when they divorce, like your parents being divorced is a normal thing for you. That's true. Like, I'm not trying to be cold or nothing, and I'm not saying it didn't have an effect on the other children. I don't know if she... Was she the youngest, or... I'm I sure she, she had brothers and sisters. Oh, she was the oldest. Okay, so even then. So, like, her parents being divorced was she a normal thing. She brothers. You know? And she began acting out to get attention at, at, like, what age? At, like, three, four? All kids act out to get attention at three, four, That's, you know? Yeah, no doubt. So... It's just, I don't know. It's just a lot of the stuff that I feel like they put in the documentary about her childhood were kind of cop-outs. It's like we're trying to make an excuse um, to, to, to humor the family or to humor her who's still in prison. I don't know what it is, um, but it just didn't seem like enough to, to add up to killing people in the way that she did. There was something else off there. Just, I just don't get the retaliation. Yeah. That's all. So Beverly, uh, whenever she would attempt to discipline Dana, Dana would retaliate by stealing money to buy candy and would occasionally fly into fits of violence. At five years old, upset that her mother had been giving more attention to her stepbrothers, Dana cut a large hole in her mother's favorite dress with a pair of scissors. That's a little, that's, that's a little bit uh, sadistic for five years old. At five years right, old, if they're doing that, I'm like, that's not a good sign. That's not a good no, sign. No, not that know. they would go to the, those lengths. At that yeah. age to yeah, that's sneak not around and do something like that. Um, Dana grew up in Los Angeles in the 1960s. In school, she did not get along well with other students and did poorly in her classes. She was suspended from school many times for forging notes to get out of class. <laughs> and she tended to, to run with a rough crowd. She, she uh, fit in better with them. And there was something that was mentioned in the documentary about uh, that her and these rough rough kids – one yeah. of the activities they would like to do is they would go up onto rooftops and take animals, I guess cats and stray cats and dogs and whatnot, and yeah. apparently catapult them off the roof into pools. Guaranteed it was cats. But it had yeah. to be, right? Dude, and also, this is the 60s. I know we've talked about this a million times. Dude, this was, I hate to say normal, but ask your grandpa. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's just... It's just one that, like, catapulting animals off a roof into a body of water, that seems, that pretty, seems mild. pretty mild compared to the shit that I've heard my, my grandpas and my, my great uncles and stuff tell me the shit that they did to animals. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God, how are y'all not serial killers? Like, right. by, today's, by today's terms, like, y'all should have killed someone already. You know? And, yeah. But <clears throat> I don't know. Like I said, again, this is just We always look at these serial killers from the, you know, that, that we're killing in the... 70s and stuff and they grew up in a time where it's like yeah they were torturing animals at this age and we're like well by today's standards in 2020 probably most people were quote-unquote torturing animals back in in the 50s and 60s like what you're talking about so you almost could say that about anybody's childhood that's right and it just depends it the way you look at it depends on how they turned out 
Like when I yeah. look at my, I look at my soft-hearted, loving grandpa now, and I'm like, okay, you were just a dumb kid who was bored and under some bad influences. Like I get yeah. it. But if he grew, if he grew up to be a serial killer, I'd be like, oh yeah, we saw the signs. He was torturing yeah. cats at. Pop-. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think exactly. that's how her childhood is being being determined. It's it's in hindsight of what she's done. It's it's. I don't think yeah. it's because of her childhood. I think it's just in hindsight that it all looks bad now. Mm-hmm. When Dana was 14, her mother developed breast cancer. Dana decided to become a nurse after watching hospital nurses treat her mother. So it seems like she's on a good path here. You know, mm-hmm. she's been a rough child, um, hung out with a rough crowd, not didn't, didn't do well in school. She's acted out for attention, all these things. But she goes on to, to become a nurse after witnessing, you know, them take care of her mother. It seems like right, pretty uh, mature. Mm-hmm. But um, a- after her mother's death, Dana moved in with her father, but was forced to leave after her stepmother found drugs in her room. A few years later, she became involved with sky di- with a skydiving instructor who would get her pregnant twice and both times convince her to abort the pregnancy, something that apparently she resented. Um, and I can see why. Yeah, for sure, if, especially if, if it was like really... I mean, it's she didn't have to, obviously, because he's telling her to. She could have kept the babies. But if yeah, he wasn't willing she to go be out a par- partner with him... Yeah. Right, and she probably fell in love with this guy. I mean, if, she, if he got her pregnant twice, you know what I'm saying? And then she, yeah. and it took him to make her abort the babies. Obviously, she wanted to keep them. You know, maybe if maybe if he saw a relationship with her and showed some commitment or whatnot, maybe he didn't want to be with her. I'm not saying he should have, but if he did, I feel like this is a different story right here. Yeah. I feel like maybe she gets what she wants. She lives a life where she can be a thrill seeker, yep. and maybe this guy's well off or, or you know. I don't know. I just feel like the whole this is where it like takes a bad turn. Yeah, I'm sure skydiving instructors make pretty good money. Um, I would think so. I think so. Just yeah, so. I mean, to pay for the insurance and the liabilities, and then all the equipment alone. Right. I mean, I feel like it. And then it's not cheap to go skydiving. skydiving. That's what I was about to say. And then just for one person to skydive, how how much is it? I mean, right. I have no idea. I have no I have no urge to do that. I I don't if have wings. Uh, if you're a skydiving instructor listening to this podcast, let us know. Yeah. What you make, man. Come on, tell us. Yeah, <laughs> and also why. I mean, we're on right. the ground, man. Just be happy. And also, do you ever listen to us while you're falling from the sky? That's kind of cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Has anyone right. ever listened to you us while You think you ought to pull the parachute now? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting there trying to fast forward through our commercials, forgets to pull his parachute. Damn it. <laughs> Inadvertently killed by True Crime Podcast. Right. That's one last download, damn it. Doc. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's it's fucked dark. up. That is, that is, that is. It's not uh, a real skydiver. It's just figuratively speaking. We don't just look at all of you as downloads. I promise. We love no, each no, one no, of you. No, no. Love you. Um, Dana graduated from Newport Harbor High School in 1976, and was living with her skydiver instructor. Uh, his name was Rob for the next several years. So I didn't even. It doesn't really. It didn't click with me that she was. She had had those two abortions when she was real young in her teens. She hadn't even graduated high school yet. Right. Um, that makes a lot and more so, sense, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So she would, even though she did bad in school, she would end up um, getting it together enough to get her diploma and graduate from high school in 76. And for the next few years, lived with her uh, with her skydiving instructor boyfriend, at uh, which point she made through made it through uh, nursing school. So he must have been making pretty good money because he, he helped her get through nursing school, gave her a place to live. And um, like mm-hmm. you said, it could have, maybe it could have been, we never, no one would have ever known her name had they just uh, had those babies. And who knows? I mean, maybe it would have been terrible. And yeah. maybe, maybe those 
it's better that those babies weren't born. Right. Maybe she, she ends up being she a mom like a her mom. mother like her mom. Exactly. Um, she would go on to become an expert skydiver. Her favorite jumps were over the Grand Canyon, in large part because it was a, more of a thrill because it was illegal. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't, you weren't supposed to be skydiving over the Grand Canyon. But man, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah, I know. What are they going to do, though? I mean, you're already falling into the Grand Canyon. I mean, what are they going to do now? Yeah, come <laughs> find me. You got your escape donkey waiting at the bottom. <laughs> some, some like, cop skydiver just comes out of the air and snatches you before you can pull your chute. Hell no. <laughs> An aerial battle ensues. <laughs> they shoot, like, they shoot one of sharpened the... license plate and finishes it. <laughs> oh, damn. Then they, then they pull out one of those nets that you shoot with the balls around the end so it wraps around her. She plummets right. to the earth. Nah, it's Epic yeah, battle. man. It's pretty intense, like an action movie. That is. Should write this. It's some kind of fan fiction, true crime fan yeah. fiction going on here. In 1981, she graduated from nursing school, and for the next few years, she had an on again, off again relationship with a guy named Chris Dodson, who was a windsurfer. So she's just, she's a nurse by day, but she's right. out doing just crazy shit all, you know, in her free time, skydiving and windsurfing. Yeah, she's an adrenaline junkie, man. It makes me wonder if she had some sort of brain trauma when she was younger. We didn't, we usually typically we hear that with uh, serial killers, mm-hmm. especially ones that are violent to the extent that she is. You know, like Richard Ramirez and one. Actually, yeah. her killings were very similar to Richard Ramirez. You know how he he did this to elderly women too, yeah. his heinous crimes. Yeah, and we know he had that big bookshelf fall on him, and really messed him up. And he was having seizures and stuff as a kid. Right, but like a lot typically. Research shows that people who are really into um, thrill-seeking things like this, you know, skydiving, Mm -hmm. stuff like that, a lot of times they had uh, brain trauma when they were younger. Interesting. You don't have the same level of uh, fear of consequences and things like that. Oh. Huh. Or maybe just the high is just so great that you don't care. I feel like that's some people. Like, they just, they get such a rush off of it that they just, they're addicted to it. It's like that's what they right. want. They want to be afraid for their life. They want to be afraid for their life again and then make it and then be afraid and then make it. I don't yeah, know. Man, I got over that shit by the time I was like 15 and I yeah. had, en- had enough broken limbs and things like that. I was like, no, I'll play it safe now. Yeah, yeah. Hell I yeah, watch and I'm too. just like, I'm like that old person. I'm like, yeah, it's not worth it. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's not. It looks it's, like fun, but it ain't worth it. The, the, yeah. the hospital stay you're going to do. Exactly. Some stuff just ain't worth it, man. Listen, I heard a real quick story, okay? There was a guy at a, this is a, fr- a friend of mine. Um, his friend who is a youth pastor at a church, right? And they were all out in this parking lot, and he was hanging out with the kids that, you know, he teaches or whatever every week, and he was trying to do something fun with them, so he was like, all right, how about this Sunday night? Everybody just, like, you can bring skateboards or bikes or whatever and just ride around the parking lot, and we'll just we'll just have a good time. I'll get pizza for everybody, and we'll have fun. Well, one of the kids brought a little penny board, Right, you know, like one of those little small. If you're not familiar yeah, with a yeah. penny penny board skateboard, yeah. guys, it's like about a foot long skateboard that is pointed on one end. The other end typically has a little tail that comes up. It like arcs. It's barely up. big enough to fit one foot on it. That's right. I, I think of Bart Simpson when I think of penny boards. Like he's, yeah. it's just that little tiny board that you can barely fit on. And this youth pastor guy, he was riding. He he's he's only like 33 years old. Okay, at this time, he's riding one of these penny boards and he goes up. He goes to ride it up the ramp on one of these sidewalks, and it shoots out from under him. The guy flies up, lands on his head and his neck and his back, and gets up, right? And then later falls over within seconds. They call an ambulance, and he dies on the way to the hospital. Oh, shit. Gone. Just like that. 
in perfect health. Just trying to relate to the 30, kids and just hang out trying, with them and be cool. Just trying to have fun. And he rode skateboards as a kid. Like it was yeah. it was just a freak accident. It just hit something just right. It flew out from under him. And he died. I that was day, I bro. was pretty damn crazy on a skateboard as a teenager, dude. I was the guy. You're I lucky. Was the kid that I snapped my arm doing it because um, I would try to do rails, and I would I, we would go try and find the biggest sets of stairs that we could jump down. I mean, literally like you know eight, ten or more set stairs. Yeah. You know, ten feet up, you're you're going full speed as fast as you can go. A lot of times, churches, coincidentally, you know, funny, funny you were just mentioning a pastor yeah. or whatever. That was where we would a lot of times like to go, to go churches because they would be empty on the weekend or That's empty right. during the week or whatever and after hours, and you could go in there and they'd have sets of stairs you could jump down and things like that. Yep, and it, you just never know, man. It's just a freak accident. Yeah, and but of course we wouldn't wear helmets because it wasn't, wasn't cool to wear helmets, but man, of course had, he, not. had this guy been wearing a helmet, he would have been fine, or, or at least not nearly. He'd be alive right now for sure. Oh, absolutely. He would absolutely be alive. That's right. That's right, so. man. you got to protect your head. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, you don't get it's another not, one. It doesn't I heal know. the same as like no. your, if you no. break a bone, it doesn't heal the same. Your brain is very delicate. Right. I know it doesn't look cool, but death doesn't look cool either. Like I promise no. you. I, no. I don't know. It's just it, it sounds like such an old person thing to say, but I don't give a shit. Like I tell my kids, I'm like, a human body is more fragile than what we think. Like yeah. yes, we can take a lot. We can take a lot, but also, it's so fragile. The tiniest little thing could be the end of your life. And that doesn't mean that live in a bubble, but it just means be smart, you know? Right. So Dana wasn't uh was was didn't wouldn't want to hear our, our preaching here about no, no, uh, no, 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 no. About being safe and whatnot. She was she was excelling in windsurfing, golf. Well, golf's pretty chill. And <laughs> and she was taking frequent trips to Hawaii to participate in, in different activities. And living her, she was living a good life at this time. I mean, it was oh, kind of yeah, crazy to like think it. she goes on to be what she becomes. Because I mean, she's she's actively working as a nurse and doing a lot of fun activities in her off time, and seemingly living a pretty cool life. Yeah. However, in October of 1997, she married a, nam- a man named Bill Gray at an upscale winery in the Temecula area. Uh, Bill was a fellow sports enthusiast who had uh, known and admired her since high school. So. Not high school high, sweethearts, but they did go to the same school, and he kind of had a thing for her. Okay. Um, Dana, during this time, was a pretty serious athlete, very fit and uh, pretty with blonde hair. The marriage quickly got into trouble, however, when Dana dug them deeply into debt. At this point, she was also uh, estranged from her other two half-brothers, having burned many bridges in a dispute over her aunt's will. So, <laughs> Yeah, I could willing see that. To, willing to ruin relationships for... You know, for her extravagant lifestyle. I mm-hmm. mean, w- whether it was with her boyfriends, husbands, her own uh, stepbrothers, um, not the type of person that you want to have in your family when a death happens, because it's going to be a scrap for every little. They're going to try and get every little thing from the deceased person's uh, estate. Oh, definitely. Um, mm. During this time, she was a labor and delivery nurse at Inland Valley Re- Regional Medical Center. And she lived with her with her husband um, in a gated community of Canyon Lake. So Canyon Lake, which we've talked about, where she later perpetrates where we these started. heinous crimes against old people. Yep. Um, they had several business ventures together under the name Gray Matter. Obviously, a play on his last name, Gray. Right. And now her last name after marrying him. Gray mm-hmm. left her husband in early 1993 and moved in with their friend and her lover, Jim Wilkins, and his youngest son, Jason. Jason would be the little boy that she was seen with 
that was her new boyfriend, and this mm. is this is leading up to the crimes. Right, nineteen ninety three, she perpetrates right. these these murders in nineteen ninety four. So when she becomes a serial killer, exactly. Um, in June of nineteen ninety three, she filed for divorce from Bill Gray. However, this was not finalized until after she would later be arrested. So she was still married during the time of these crimes. Um, in September of nineteen ninety three, she and Gray filed for bankruptcy to stave off foreclosure on their Canyon Lake houses. Or house. Um, although the value of the house had greatly increased since they had purchased it, they owed much more on the house, so they were upside down. And she deeply resented during this time her mother-in-law, Jerry, who we keep mentioning, Jerry Ambrust. Uh, she deeply resented her because uh, Jerry had been taking care of her mother-in-law, Norma Davis. Right. So, she's, so uh, what I was saying about layers of uh, family ties here. Yep. You got Dana. Dana's mad at her mother-in-law because her mother-in-law is taking care of her own mother-in-law financially instead of her daughter-in-law. Right. She, you know, uh, Dana's going through bankruptcy and whatnot, and she's not getting any help from her mother-in-law. She yeah. she resents. She's like, her why are you this. helping her? She's old. She's like eighty-six. Why are you helping her? Help us. Right. Losing our house. Yeah. Exactly. I get it. Yep. On November 24th, 1993, Dana was fired from the hospital where she worked after she was caught to have been misappropriating Demerol and other opiate painkillers. So she's she's got an addiction, I'm thinking, to these these different medications that she's not supposed to be uh, taking or stealing from the hospital. And that's a pretty quick way to get fired from that job and find be hard to get back into the medical field after you, you know that gets on your record. Oh, God, yeah. God, stealing medications now. Yeah, you done, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, so we're getting close now to her first killings. On February 14th, 1994, she sent word through Gray's parents that she wanted to meet with Bill. Um, now, they they were separated at this time. As we know, Dana's living with her new boyfriend, and uh, she hadn't. Bill's kind of keeping his distance from her. She frankly kind of scares him. Um, and so when she sends word through his family that she wants to meet with him, he initially agrees, but then doesn't show up. Pretty smart move. Um, and it was later that day, on February 14th, 1994, that Dana would go on to murder Norma Davis, the first killing that we talked about, the 86-year-old woman who was slain in her own home. Um, Bill Gray would later find out that Dana had taken out a life insurance policy on him and that the policy would have paid off the Canyon Lake house in the event of his death. So she <laughs> undoubtedly, on that day that she killed she would later, you know, that she went on to kill Norma Davis. She was planning to kill Bill, her, her, uh, technically her husband at the time, but they were yeah. going through the divorce proceedings. She was well, planning to kill him that day. I wonder. By him I wonder not how. Showing up, she went on to the next best thing and, and killed Norma Davis. I wonder if she was trying or planning to kill him with the opioids, with like an overdose. Because how does she, how if she couldn't kill this fifty-seven-year-old woman, how the hell does she expect to kill this man? Maybe this, she was. I don't know. Who was yeah, in his thirties? You have to do it in a boys. way that. She couldn't get caught, obviously, or else she wouldn't get the payout for life insurance. So exactly. I don't know what her plan was. I, I'm, I'm thinking maybe all these, maybe she wasn't addicted to painkillers at all. Maybe she was stashing them to crush them up and put uh, them in something for him. Maybe she's selling them. Who knows? She, we know that her biggest thrill oh, was shopping true. and true. spending money. That's true. She could just be selling them, yeah. Okay. So after you know, trying to kill her husband, Bill, but him not falling for it, she would go on to kill, as we know, Norma Davis, mm -hmm. 86-year-old Norma Davis. She would then kill June Roberts, both of them in their own home in Canyon Lake, and then she would attack Dorinda Hawkins at the antique store. And that's where we're at in the uh, the crime line here, detective-wise, them trying to, to locate 
this woman, they now have a, a really pretty detailed description of, mm-hmm. you know, a woman in her 30s, 40s, blonde hair. She has a five-year-old son. They know the son's... Well, red hair now, they have, they, right? Freshly dyed. Well, yeah, now, and they also know that, uh, yeah, that's a good point. They The hairdresser also mentioned um, that the woman that had come in had requested that her hair be cut and dyed from blonde to red. So it seems as though this person, you know, th- this killer is trying to disguise themselves a bit. Exactly. Back to March of 1994, Jerry Ambrust, which whom, with whom the police have been trying to, you know, dig into her, her psyche to try and find whoever she knows that could have be doing, be doing these killings, and she's unable to provide them with anything. Um, however, she gets a knock at her door, and she sees her daughter-in-law, Dana, sporting a newly dyed uh, hair job that's uh, her hair is now red. Dana was eager to show off her new red hair and bragged about having a great relationship with her new boyfriend's five-year-old son. The name, of course, matched the name that the boy had from the hair salon appointment book with which the police had provided Jerry with as well. They said that, you know, this blonde woman would be with this young boy, and here's his name. Everything that uh, her daughter-in-law was telling her in Jerry's mind was just adding up, and she's going, oh, my God, like, Right? How do you stay this, cool the, everything in that situation? That like, I know, you right? You freak just like, out and start to show a panic. It's like you got a royal flush in your hand, and yeah. you're just trying to play it cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Holy fuck. Okay, cool, cool. Oh, I love your hair. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, all the while, your husband's daughter, yeah. your beloved husband's daughter, you are now faced with the fact that she is a serial killer who has been killing your friends. Yes. You know? Oof. Oh, God. You know she's got to be creeped Crazy. out. She's like, is she here for me now? You know what I mean? Like yeah, she was very out. creeped out because as soon as, as soon as, uh, um, Dana, as soon as she left, as soon as Dana left, she got her gun and sat there and waited, expecting her to come back. She was expecting to be the next victim, um, but she was hoping that it would be her husband that came back first, which it was. The next day, Jerry called Detective Greco and told him that she knows who the killer is, and what she was able to ride with for him matched up with everything including the the hair being dyed red the the, the five-year-old boy mm-hmm. and he was there was no doubt in detective greco's mind that this was the killer and they got to work obtaining obtaining a search warrant for dana's house in lake elsinore on the afternoon of march 16 1994 officers st- staked out the mobile home where gray resided with her boyfriend at the time um, once the warrant was approved they arrested her and took her in for questioning They also took some of the items from her apartment. At the very least, they had her on forgery and possession of stolen property, so she had a bunch of stolen goods and whatnot, some of which belonged to the victims, which tied her to those crimes. In the home, they found jewelry, food, liquor, a ski mask, a purse with nearly $2,000 stuck in the washing machine, and many items of clothing that she had purchased with the dead woman's credit cards. Dana also possessed June Roberts' bank book, using it to withdraw about $2,000, and before the murder, she had taken a key to Robert's mobile home. In addition, a set of keys found in Gray's home matched those taken from the antique store where Dorinda Hawkins was attacked. So she's tying herself to many of these oh, crimes. Yeah, the, only like one that she, the only one she didn't have anything tied with was Norma, the first victim, and she always denies that one because it's... To, Norma was close with her her own family. Right. You know, the... She, and she had she had been a caretaker for Norma for a while after Norma had um, had a car accident. She had actually been tending to this woman's needs and taking care of her and keeping her alive, essentially, right. and only to kill her brutally later. It makes a lot of sense as to why she never 
you know, she never. She was ashamed of killing Norma ashamed. Davis more than the others. Well, also, I mean, if anybody is going to be there for you while you're in prison, it's going to be your family. And why would you yeah. want to isolate your yeah. family? And her that dad way? ended up sticking by her side. Yep. Yeah, he sure did. Sure did. So detectives got Dana in custody. They think this whole ordeal's over. Um, she's not, however, admitting any guilt to in these crimes. She's denying, denying, denying. She's the only thing she'll admit to is is some thievery. You know that she the, her weakness got the best of her. She she played the the little girl routine. Did you see her interviews? Yes, she did. It's oh, like yeah. she gets that high pitched voice going. Where we see a lot of times with with female cr- criminals, they try to yeah. try to. I don't know what they're trying to do. They're trying to act as though they're like an innocent little girl. Um, right, like they're incapable of doing what they're accused of. Right. That's exactly what they're trying to do. Sadly, um, detectives, just as they began to interrogate Dana, they learned about another murder that had occurred, a murder of an 87-year-old woman named Dora Beebe in Sun City, California. And mm. sadly, they would learn that they had just been a few hours too late in uh, taking in Dana Gray into custody because the day that they were staking her out, the day that they had arrested her, earlier in that day, she had killed an 87-year-old woman, Dora Beebe. Mm. Earlier that day, on March 16th, 1994, Dana had killed Beebe after following her home from a doctor's appointment in the bank. She'd seen this older woman go to the bank and take out cash. She then followed her to her home, pulled up in front of her house, and knocked on the door. She asked for directions Dora, seeing you know a pretty young woman, not seeing her as much of a threat, uh, allowed her into her home where she uh, looked at a map. Once inside, Dana attacked and killed BB, strangling her with a telephone wire and beating her brutally with an electric clothing iron. BB was found later that day by her boyfriend. After an hour, uh, an hour after the murder, Dana used Dora's credit cards to go on a shopping spree. So, I mean, the police had been wow. staking her out on this shopping spree. Meanwhile, they, she had just yeah, killed this right, elderly right, woman. Right. <laughs> it's crazy, man. Yeah. They literally missed They're her by a few They're sitting here watching her spend her money. Yeah. yeah. Man, it's a yeah, bummer. That's, that's so creepy. Finally behind bars, Dana now faced a mountain of evidence and a living witness slash victim. Dorinda Hawkins positively identified Dana Gray through a photo lineup as the woman that had attacked her in the antique store. Detectives uh, Antoniatis attempted to obtain a confession after Detective Grieco's interview, but was unsuccessful, so they're both not able to get her to admit guilt in, in the murders of these women. Detective Greco uh, eventually booked Gray on charges of murder, and she faced a strong possibility of the death penalty. And being faced with that, and knowing that there was no getting around all the evidence that was in front of her, um, right. she would initially plead insanity on all accounts, but after a witness claimed to have seen her at June Roberts' house the day after her, the day of her death, she changed her plea to guilty of robbing and murdering the two women and attempting to murder another. So she would she would finally plead guilty. Um, the only one she wouldn't admit to was Dora, her first uh, her yeah. first murder, and that was because, like we said, she was so ashamed of that one that she was yeah, a uh, close she was family. family member. That's right. <clears throat> by pleading, I understand that. And by pleading guilty, she basically took a plea deal, and by pleading guilty, she avoided the death penalty, And on October 16th, 1998, she was sentenced to life without parole and was incarcerated in the California Women's State uh, Prison in Chowchilla. 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 The state decided not to prosecute her, as we mentioned, on the murder of Norma Davis, um, the first victim, due to a lack of physical evidence. But people close to this this case, they believe that it was kind of a deal that... that, uh, 
Dana was able to make up with the DA in that she said, fine, I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give I'll you a give confession you other on the others, but yeah. um, it can't involve Norma Davis because that would basically write me off my family forever. My family would write me off. and um, That's right. So even though that I'm sure sense. the family members know she did it, they at least can plead ignorance on it. Yeah. At least she won't go down in history with that being charged to her. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I think that's all she really cared about at this time. And someone as narcissistic as her, someone as self-absorbed, this is a serious, uh, this is a serious offense towards her. Right. If her whole family thinks that way of her, even her father, mm-hmm. you know, a, a father's opinion means a lot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially if you had a good or a parent, a, a mother or a father, their opinion means a lot to someone. I mean, even when they're older, especially if they had a good relationship with them. That's right. And when you're in prison and you know you're going to prison for life, and also the prosecutors know that as well. They know she's going to prison for life. They know she's not getting out. They're like, what's the point in pushing this issue? Yeah, and they, never, and they know the public knows. Everyone knows that she killed Norma Davis. No one's... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, it's like, are, is she going to get killed if she gets convicted of Norma Davis's murder? No. Right. I mean, she's still going to be doing life. Right. So, and and sadly, they didn't have a whole lot of evidence in the Norma Davis case. All they had was that shoe print. So. Right. Right. And it's a popular shoe. Yeah. I mean, damn, everybody right. was wearing Nikes, and then a size six. That's a pretty. And she didn't seem to keep. She, she didn't seem to keep anything from Norma Davis's um, crime scene either. So, like she did that the was others. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, dude, maybe she just killed Norma just so her. Her mother-in-law would start helping them. She's like, "Okay, there. Now that, Norma's gone. That, now help me." Yeah, I could see that. She, we talked. We mentioned I mean, the. I, um, she she resented her mother-in-law for taking care of her mother-in-law's mother-in-law. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So. She resented Jerry for it, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, for taking care of Norma. Yeah. When, I mean, obviously Norma needed someone to take care of her. I've but. got some excerpts from a book on this case that give you a little insight into. Uh, how cold and callous this woman was and what she did following uh, these murders. Here's an excerpt from To Die For, the, tro- the shocking true story of serial killer Dana Sue Gray by Kathy Braidhill. This is in regards to, uh, this excerpt is following the murder of June Roberts, her second victim. It says, quote, right. Less than an hour later, the Cadillac was parked in front of the Bally's Wine Country Cafe in Temecula, where Roberts' killer puffed cigarettes and frowned at a small boy running around the tables. She charged the crab cake and scampi to Robert's credit card. It was too much to eat, so the waiter packed the rest to go. The next shop was an eyebrow wax and perm for herself and a fashionable cut for the boy. Signing the $164 charge to June Roberts, she then told the stylist she was on a shopping spree. She spent $511 on a black suede jacket and several pairs of cowboy boots, $161 on a pair of diamond drop earrings, all charged to Roberts. Heading home, she swung by a drugstore and picked up dog treats and two bottles of Smirnoff. On the way to the checkout <laughs> counter, she paused in the toy aisle and tossed a $5.99 toy police helicopter into her basket. So Right, get something for the boy. Really spoil it. Oh, and by the way, we didn't mention, this little boy was in the car in the driveway um, at June Roberts' home when she went in yes, to kill June waiting. Roberts. He was waiting in the car for her while she killed June Roberts. They went on the shopping That's spree right. directly afterwards. They went straight from her home to the shopping mall to go do all yeah. this fun shopping. That's right. And that that actually became a big 
uh, detail in the case because later when she claimed insanity, the psychologist pointed to that and they're yeah. like, well, if you were so insane, how'd you know to shield a child right. from, um, what you were doing from a there. horrible experience, right? <clears throat> Obviously, you cared enough about this child so that he didn't see Or what you happened. cared enough that he might say something about it and get you busted. And he might say something. Well, yeah, yeah. Yep. Either way, yep. either way. You you knew that this was the wrong thing to do, so that actually came back to bite her in the ass that day. Yep, for sure. Yeah, it, 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 it that was cool how in the documentary she, the, the psychologist explained how it all works. And in regards to uh, the the justice system, you know, insane yeah. is doesn't mean you can have a mental illness and still be charged with murder. It's it's all about, and we've talked about this time and time again. It's all about whether you were aware of what you were doing was wrong. And, of course, she was because she did. She went through many layers to cover up her own tracks and, like you said, shielding the young boy from seeing that and also, at the same time, keeping his mouth shut because he didn't know what had occurred. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there was premeditation and yeah. thought on this after and before. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. One more excerpt from this book, uh, and this is in regards to her changing her plea to guilty. It says, quote, Gray was housed for her own safety in the Riverside's jail high security unit. Uh, She adapted quickly to jail, dubbing it her county condo, and hectored her jailers to provide a semblance of her high-maintenance civilian lifestyle. She insisted on a vegetarian diet, demanded a visit from her chiropractor, bemoaned the absence of a mirror, and dashed off an impressive volume of letters in the disposition of her belongings. She drew chilling clown faces, a la John Wayne Gacy, with paintings cobbled together from M&M's candy coating, cherry drink mix, blue eyeshadow, lipstick, and baby powder. Refusing the cheap Nikes brought to her by her family on a visit, she demanded the high-end models to which she was accustomed. So still trying <laughs> to live this extravagant lifestyle from behind bars, and I'm sure she's been able to sell some of these paintings she's done of other serial killers using all of the items she could find in her cell. I think I did well, see funny. something that was for sale that she had done from behind bars, oh, you know, oh, really? those people that sell that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's too smart yeah, funding this, uh, this bitch's lifestyle in there. No, but it's interesting to look at the art. It is. Um, I'll look at it. I'm just not going to buy psych- it. Right, exactly. The psychologist uh, broke it down and was talking about how some of the clowns looked like they were self-portraits and what whatnot. But I don't know. I feel like it's a little bit of a stretch. Um, but it could be because she is so self-absorbed. Oh, definitely she is, a narcissist. She's, she's extremely narcissistic, self-absorbed. I don't know why she would take the time to do any type of art that wasn't about her. Right. So, um, and we find, I think, inadvertently, when we create art, you know, there's a piece of ourselves in it. That's what makes art art, right? right. I mean, that's kind of the point. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that her intentions of doing the art were probably for no other reason than to get publicity and get money. Exactly. That would be my opinion. Whereas John Wayne Gacy was doing these weird paintings and being a clown long before uh, anybody knew about it, you know? So I I thought that was interesting. It's like she's trying to do the serial killer thing. Because you got to think, when she was arrested in the 90s, you know, we already went through the 60s, 70s, and 80s. There was a a way that serial killers acted, and there were people getting attention for acting this certain way. And so her not, you know, what, what she's like, this is who I am now. So I have to find my identity and who this person is serving life. So I'm going to do what serial killers do and be popular. And here we are discussing her. So that's right. I guess it worked to a certain extent. All right. So yeah, it's Dana Gray. Dana Gray. Oh, Dana Gray. Dana Gray. That was a, a different, so. definitely a different type of uh, female serial killer. I don't know if we've done one like that. Uh, we've done, you know, obviously. It's the typical mode. It seems like for female serial killers, is like indirect, like. Poisoning a lot of times, 
Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Maybe a gun, but you know, the the hands-on approach that Dana took was definitely rare. It was, and that and that's what kind of kept her victim class such a such a small class of elderly women, I yeah, think. Yeah, defenseless. Too. Because yeah, because Dana wasn't a big woman. Right. I don't. I don't think she could even strangle a woman that her her age and size. No, I mean, I, I don't. I, yeah, I agree. So, I agree. Yeah, not without a fight. That's for sure. Could. It would be a exactly. fight, and it would get messy. Exactly. Exactly. But also, it seemed like she was into that type of thing. She was into that rush, that fight, because there was lots of. I mean, I hate to say it, but there was a lot easier ways that she could have she could have t- tackled these victims. Yeah, you know what I mean. She she didn't have to be so brutal. She got off and, on the power uh, of it. So sadistic. Of, of them being, yeah. you know, in her complete control in that moment, like we've seen so many times with other serial killers. No doubt. No doubt. All well, right. You know what? Let me help you take control of your BO. So my guy. Ha ha. I like that segue there. I just keep talking until I can find one. <laughs> yeah. But Oh My Gaia is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. And guys, there's definitely a scent that will fit your style, from vanilla to cherry almond to sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut. What's up, Lauren? You got some scents? No, you're good. Oh, okay. Sorry, I heard you say something. I thought you wanted to add something to the ad here. Uh, but coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside. There are new scents always being added, like pear. Uh, I think bergamot amber is still somewhat of a new scent. That's that is a great scent as well. My my daughter and my wife they both love bergamot amber and pear. Um, and we have our very own scent called True Crime Pine, guys, made especially for true crime guys. Uh, the little seal on the jar is our old school podcast logo. It's pretty cool. Um, I like to keep a few jars on hand, hand them out to family members and stuff, and create more Oh My Gaia fans that way. So because you guys are True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, and you can get 15% off your order. And you can do that at shop underscore Oh My Gaia on Instagram or at ohmygaia.com. And that's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. Guys, stop putting aluminum in your armpits. Get you some all-natural deodorant that actually smells good, works, and feels great. And Do you it. get a discount on because you listen to the show, and you can get that's right a limited edition. Well, it's not limited edition. It seems like it. Our logo. You can get you can get True Crime yeah. Pine and and have that up on the shelf, and it's it's just kind of a nice collector's item. That's right. Even even if you're not into it, you should get a you should get a jar of True Crime Pine. Absolutely. Right. I mean, how many other True Crime podcasts have their own deodorant? Come on. Not one that I've ever heard of. <laughs> I can't think of one. I mean, I'm sure they haven't tried, but that's besides the point. And actually, one of the reviews we're going to read real quick from uh, for the podcast, uh, they actually give a shout-out to all my guy in here. Nessie BV oh, yeah. in the U.S. said, New to the show and loving it. Five stars. You guys have a great chemistry, and I enjoy your banter. Listen to everything. True Crime and your show is the new favorite. Found you through True Crime Garage, and I've even ordered some Oh My Gaia, and it's amazing. Keep creeping. Right on. Found us so she clicked on garage. us because she thought we were True Crime Garage, apparently. Oh, that's probably what happened, yeah. <laughs> she was like, what was that podcast you said, True Crime Guys? No, 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 True Crime Garage. Oh, well, I found True Crime Guys. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I imagine it happens, man. It's, and you know people click on that stuff 
you know? That's what happens. People just glance at words. My dad's one of the worst. He glances at words and he'll be like, he'll be like reading it. I'm like, Dad, that's not what that says at all. <laughs> all right. Not, nope. Nope. Take one more look. Yeah. Yeah. Very different words there. But uh, we got, we got one funny. more here. Daryl loves the all 80s right. in the U.S. Said refreshing. Nice. Five stars. These guys are fantastic. Make me laugh several times an episode without being totally raunchy. Um, a great lighthearted approach to the true crime storytelling podcast. Highly recommend. So. Thank you, Daryl right and Nessie BV. Cool. Thank you guys so much, man. The reviews really help, guys. Yep. If you can't, if you don't want to write something, you don't have to. Just go in there, click five stars, help some other people out. You know, keep those ratings up. Let them know that they're going to get a quality show here on True Crime Guys. But the best way, honestly, is just tell your friends. That's tell right. your friends. Share on social media. Uh, if you guys share a story on Instagram, we'll share it at True Crime Guys on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. And you guys can go to truecrimeguys.com and find links to just about everything we have. Um, we even have a whole nother show. A whole nother. That's right. That's what I said. That's not I a word. People say Everybody that. gets mad when people say whole nother. I know. Listen, dude, I hate that I say it. It's whole other. He says, kids say he says it. it's whole other. But I would argue whole nother gives you more descriptive idea of what's going on because it's, it, a whole nother means it's ex, it's another of the same. Whereas a whole other makes yeah. it sound like something different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like this is a whole thing, but it's another thing like that. Right. Right. So that's he why he brought I a whole other whole pizza. Nother. To me, it's like, okay, is that one pepperoni? But if he says it's a whole right. other pizza, then it's the same of whatever we have. If we have pepperoni it's here, same. it's another pepperoni. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. Ah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Anyways, so in instance, we have another True Crime Guys production show, and it's a whole nother show. No, it's okay? a whole other it's because it's guys. different. It, it is different. It is different, but it's it's a lot of our voices still. Yeah. It's it's a lot of me uh, rambling about unsolved cases, missing persons, um, strange strange phenomena, cults, and all that stuff. And of course, towards the end of the show, if you guys are unfamiliar, Lauren comes in with the Lauren synopsis. He breaks down the case like cardboard boxes, and he sums everything up all nice and neat, puts a bow on it. And then I reference the things he says at the end. You know, do some housekeeping. It's a different format. Uh, there's a lot more. Audio, there's interviews, there's 911 calls, stuff like that is featured in as well. Um, but you guys can find Strange and Unexplained under the True Crime Guys umbrella anywhere you listen on any podcast platform. Strange and Unexplained. If you just search True Crime Guys, it should pull up. You'll see the two uh, Velociraptors on the logo. But uh, if you guys have already burnt through all the True Crime Guys material, check that out. It'll keep you busy for a little while. I think we just released episode 39 um, this past Monday. So, and uh, those episodes are released every Monday. You can also join Patreon for True Crime Guys. And that's Strange the best way to help the show. Flat on. If you it, got two bucks to the spare, one way. or if you got yes. twenty one bucks for a year, you're you're done for the next year. You're done. All of twenty twenty one, you could be done. Just twenty one bucks, and you get access that's to right. all of our premium content. Well, not all of it. You, you don't get just the banter, but you get all of our premium episodes. The one the one episode we do a month that's not on our free feed that you right. get for two bucks a month. You get access to all those. There's a shitload of them on there. Um, right. And sometimes I, sometimes I release the intros early on Patreon, so you guys can kind of get a hint of what the case is going to be. Sometimes I'll get the intro done a few days early, and uh, you know, people like to get on there and guess what the what the uh, case is going to be about. Yep. Sometimes I try not to give it away on those because so some of them I won't release on purpose just because it's too much of a giveaway. Right. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. But there's also. A uh, full catalog of Higher Thoughts with me, where oh, I did yeah. like 35 episodes uh, when I lived in Nevada. The, the, the 35 episodes of Higher Thoughts, it's a complete 
a complete disc set, if you will, <laughs> um, available on <laughs> available only in you digital. You can find it either at antique Patreon. stores or on <laughs> Patreon.com. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> it's right next to the license plates. So, right. Uh, so, yeah, guys, uh, there's lots of stuff under the True Crime Guys umbrella, but patreon.com slash True Crime Guys and patreon.com slash S&U podcast. All right, are we done? So, we done rambling? I think we're done, man. All oh, right. the merch, truecrimeguys.threadless.com, guys. Check out our merch. There's links to all of our merch. Get some True Crime Guys stickers, shirts, hoodies, mugs, fucking mouse pads, whatever the hell you want. That's right. Uh, masks for COVID. We have all that stuff available. There you go. Check the links below the description, guys. All right, I'm done. Is it a Patreon next week? I feel like it's coming it back around. Patreon next week? Yes. Well, there you go. Yes, no better time to join Patreon. Or we're, you're not going to hear us on the free feed next week. The only way you can hear our episode next week is on Patreon. Um, otherwise, right. free Lotus. If, you, if you're not going to join, then that's, that's, that's all cool with us. We'll see you the following week in 2021 with a free episode. Yes, we will. We will see you January 13th. There you go. All right, y'all. So, Happy New Year. Uh, thank you for a great 2020 as far as the podcast goes. We know it hasn't been a great year overall for many people. And uh, right. we hope 2021 is better for everybody and we can get through this. Absolutely. It will be. It will be. Let's go. All right. See you next week. Keep creeping. Right. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. True crime guys in the desert. We like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming. Yeah.